Now on Tucson Business Radio X, Heather Wilburn from the Tucson Metro Chamber and her guests for The Business Of. Welcome to The Business Of. We usually stream live from the Tucson Business Radio X studio inside the short title building in Tucson, Arizona. But today, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, we're practicing social distancing from our own remote locations. <laughs> I'm sitting in my living room. Today, our topic is the business of cannabis. I'm excited to introduce my special guest, who is a uh, Eller College of Management uh, graduate back in 19... Or what, what year did you graduate, Mo? 2005. 2005. Uh, and since then, he's uh, become the co-founder of iLava and iLava Hemp Product Line and is the partner in two Arizona dispensaries, the Downtown and D2 Dispensaries. And let me introduce Mo Asnani. Say hello, Mo. Thank you for having me, Heather. Um, glad to be on with you guys today. You're welcome. I'm so glad you were available. I know things got a little turned around at the end here when we had to not be in the studio, so I appreciate you being so flexible. Um, let's go ahead and get started. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how your journey took you from University of Arizona to where you are now. Yeah, so I uh, graduated from the U of A in 2005 um, and started, you know, at a healthcare information system company called Cerner out of Kansas City. So that was clinical informatics that I was doing for some time. And then I got into managed care um, information systems. So really a lot of regulatory compliance even though it was on the technical side, was my background. And then Arizona legalized medical marijuana in 2010. So I really started researching that at the time and understanding what the application process would look like, um, almost memorized some of the rules, if you will. And at that right. point, we uh, you know, looked at the timeline, and the dispensaries weren't actually opening and being awarded until 2012. So that gave us some time to kind of understand where strategically we wanted to apply, what we wanted to do. Um, and really, I have my personal reasons for being in Canada, too, because in 2006, when my uh, mom had breast cancer for the first time, I was seeing, you know, her response to the drugs that were being given along with the therapies, right. and they weren't very effective. Um, so I knew that there was obviously a long ways to come for medical marijuana, and that's the journey we've been going down. Yeah, exactly. And I've heard so many people go through such similar situations where they're either suffering from just nausea or, you know, depression that comes along with uh, some medical uh, uh, situations as well. But once they hear a little bit more about um, medical marijuana, they really realize that it can be quite a bit of a turning point for them. Um, so when people come into your store and they say, or your dispensary, you know, whether they are dealing with side effects of cancer treatment, chronic pain, sleep disorders, um, how, how do you give them guidance as far as what might be more effective uh, for them with, along your whole line of products? How do you know what to guide them towards? So usually the best approach that you can take is an individual one. And with a lot of patients, what they get is the flexibility of trying many different things um, to figure out what works for them. 
Um, the difference between traditional medicine and alternative, you know, herbal medicine like cannabis is that it's not a one size fits all where it's like, here's your right. pill, here's your dosage, off you go. It's more so, exactly. you know, genetically, the way you're wired, some modalities may work better. So for some people, smoking and vaping may not be an option at all because of sensitive lungs. And that's where out of right. topicals, um, tinctures and, and that like come into play. We actually have a medical director who spends a lot of time educating our care consultants, our patient care consultants on what products work best for different conditions. Again, everybody's different, so we don't right. say this is going to work for you necessarily. But what happens is that once people get their card and they come in, they learn about you know 500 different products and right. they do that in a very short amount of time because right off the bat it's like okay what's your condition and from there we can mm-hmm. narrow it down um and that's the thing they have the ability to access any of the products that we have not any specific ones um because of their medical marijuana card exactly yeah and so for the listeners who aren't familiar maybe they've heard the terms such as thc or cbd give us a little uh, cannabis 101 and tell us what the difference is between those and, and maybe different ailments that they might help address. Sure. So two of the main things to remember are that there are cannabinoids and there are terpenes. Cannabinoids mm-hmm. are the molecules like Delta 9 THC, uh, cannabidiol, also known commonly as CBD, um, as well as, you know, Delta 8 THC is another one that we focus on. And mm-hmm. then you have terpenes like Myrcene and beta carfuline. I'm trying to say it the right way, um, but right. very complex, um, you know, molecular structures in plants that help transport the cannabinoids to um, your sensory system. So mm-hmm. when we test our product, we do it for um, both cannabinoids and terpenes, and people know, like, okay, this flower is higher in CBD, so it's going right. to have a much more balanced effect. Whereas if something is very high in THC with no CBD, it could be very psychoactive, sometimes great for sleep, um, but not necessarily, you know, something you want to go to work on. And exactly, I think that's the thing with CBD and why it's become so uh, prominent is that it's now um, hemp is now legal and CBD is also found in hemp. So not just in cannabis, and it's federally legal mm-hmm. if it's less than 0.3% THC. So a lot of people see the CBD scores, the CBD signs, but I still really encourage um, your listeners to look for lab results of any CBD product they're buying to make sure that the amount of CBD in there is actually accurate. Um, that is something that's Right, and that's what about. I was wondering. Yes, exactly. Since it is seeming to be popping up on every corner, how do you know? I mean, is there a certain you know, ingredient or percentage of the breakdown of the ingredients or something like that. How do you know as a consumer what is legit and and what is just some sort of, you know, mass-produced thing that maybe doesn't have the qualities you're really looking for? Really, um, when it comes to CBD, for example, it's Mm -hmm. milligrams per gram, and that's very easy to measure. Most of the labs in Arizona that do any kind of cannabis or hemp testing and and that's legally required um, for hemp, and it will be legally required for cannabis by the end of the year. But we've been testing, mm-hmm. you know, even though it wasn't mandatory since early 2016, since the first uh, lab opened here in Tucson to do testing. And mm-hmm. I think having, okay, 
500 milligrams in this tincture bottle. That's one ounce. How do you know there's really 500 milligrams in there? Well, if there's a test result for that batch that matches the batch number that's on the label, then you can say, okay, I have verified this as a third-party website, which actually shows, right. you know, the results for that batch. That's what we're doing um, because we saw mm-hmm. a lot of products out there that were not matching up with, you know, the number that's on the label. So what we started doing is having every batch tested and actually printing it on the label ourselves so that it's more okay. accurate. Yeah. Right. That's important. Yeah. And I saw that Netflix um, series called Explained, where one of the shows was Weed Explained. And it was really interesting, some of the things they were saying about the lack of consistency in labeling. And did you see that? Do you know which show I'm talking about? Um, I haven't. But, you know, oh. one of the things about people like me, when you're in this industry and you've been this deep in, I try to avoid cannabis shows on TV just because it's like, sure. you already don't want to take your work anymore at home than you already do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so, um, you know, I was really interested to see that just within Pima County, there are nearly 31,000 registered medical marijuana patients. And so I'm curious, with that, I feel that the stigma of the typical, you know, marijuana user is changing over the years now. It's not just the, you know, 1960s, 1970s hippie and hate ashbury Now it's, you know, all sorts of people. So tell us a little bit about um, some of the patients who, who come in to see you, just sort of the cross-section of what you see. So what's really interesting, you know, we've gotten to see the full circle. We opened this, uh, the first dispensary in August of 2013, where there was definitely a lot more stigma around right. this ecosystem than there is today. Mm-hmm. And we saw over time that the older patients who really are your voting base, as well as the people who probably have the most trepidation uh, when it comes to cannabis, starting to say, you know what, maybe this is going to help me with my condition. And, you know, anecdotal stories I can tell you are like a 95-year-old grandmother who bought a topical that was high in THC, a gel that she put on her hand. And she was able to like knit again for her grandchildren oh. and be able to do that, you know, for years. I love that. Yeah, actually, a friend of mine's mother who's in her mid 80s was just frail and just getting so thin because she had absolutely no appetite. And now she'll have a gummy a day and she's put on a little weight and her mood is better. And it, it really has been life changing for her. So I'm sure you see a lot of that too, where people are really actually getting healthier, whether it be physically and or mentally. You know, one of the most interesting things about Arizona is the data that we have here as a state. Um, the government, uh, or rather the state government has the data, but you have 225,000 patients now. And every one of those card holders, when they got their cards or renewed them, you have to match that up with a pharmacy control database. So if somebody was to actually go and look at that data set in an aggregate way, they could compare mm-hmm. and say, hey, you were taking 200 milligrams of oxycodone, you know, four years ago. Right. And you can tell that because they're uniquely linked in that database and then say, okay, now you haven't taken any milligrams of oxycodone for three years. So in terms yeah. of a harm reduction study, um, where you're able to look at the true effect of cannabis on um, opioid usage, I think that's something, you know, we should be doing or need to do relatively soon 
because now Arizona has the kind of data that a lot of states don't have. Um, every transaction that we do, we log in with log into the state website. So they're literally collecting every single gram in this database, and they can compare that for the person. So it's pretty incredible the data that Arizona. Wow. Has. That is. Now, tell me about the States Act. I know you're involved with lobbying for that, correct? But I'm not familiar with what that is. Is that what you were just mentioning? Um, no, the States Act is, you know, there's obviously some changes in federal law that need to happen. There's two, mm. the two things that are very hard about the cannabis industry are, A, there's an IRS tax code called 280E, which says you can't take a lot of basic deductions, which really is, you know, is, implemented to what it's supposed to be, most cannabis businesses would shut down or go bankrupt. So it's, right. it's a very punitive um, tax law that was done in the early 80s before anything you know, became legal, and that's still being applied by the Internal Revenue Service to cannabis businesses. So that is the worst thing right now. And I'd say the second thing is banking. Um, banking mm -hmm. is something that we don't openly have access to. Some banks are definitely looking at it. Um, and, you know, there are maybe two in this state that are doing it, but the fact that the major players are not doing it yet has made it very hard and uh, cash-only business for a long time for a lot of people. Right, and that's tricky with the cash-only. I mean, I know that you're paying taxes, but how is that paper trail even monitored when it is cash? You know, I mean, we have a point-of-sale system where we're tracking all the transactions, applying all the taxes, paying our taxes. Mm -hmm. But in terms of, you know, a crisis like what's happening today, a pandemic, we all know contactless sure. and e-commerce payments, um, you know, using your credit card on a phone or on your computer would be the best way to pay. That's not an option right. for us. Yeah. And that's, that's what's a little sad is that while this pandemic is happening, I think we realize that, you know, those types of things, would save um, probably some lives in this country and in the state too mm -hmm. if, if we did have those mechanisms in place. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And I'm curious too about uh, what trends you have seen, like how vaping definitely became a bit of a, had a surge, but then bad press. I'm curious if that then affect your sales, although were you different since you make your own I lava and I lava hemp product line, or how? How? What have you seen as far as the trends? I want to be careful how I say this, but if you okay. look at the ingredients in a vape cartridge made by us, for example, um, I mm -hmm. don't want to name any other brands, so just to say an I lava okay. vape cartridge, and then you compare that with any off-the-shelf tobacco vape, you will not find, you know, propylene glycol in our products. You will not find Peg 400 in our products. But in a tobacco right. product, you're going to find those things. And that's right. what's fascinating to me is, you know, vaping is like eating. Are you going to put the same thing in your body? No, it's what you vape. And I mm. think that analogy got lost in the hysteria in last year, right? Now, obviously, the CDC is focusing on something much more important like COVID-19. Right. But they had yeah. made it this thing to go after vaping last year. And really, when you look at what the effect of that was, um, you had some bad actors in Southern California using um, a product called Honeycut, which was a thickener. And they used oh. that thickener to increase their profits on black market products that were not even licensed, um, oh you know, goodness. cannabis products. But right. everybody, the licensed businesses like us who are doing best practices got lumped in because of the word vaping. And I think uh -huh. that's where 
Um, you know, we've had some, obviously on my own frustration with the way our industry was sure. treated by the media with that whole thing. But I think people are getting it now that it was not one wide sweeping statement that, that vaping encompasses rather specific products. And you should never be putting vitamin E into your lungs to vape it. But that's what Honeycut right. really was, was vitamin E acetate. So mm-hmm. I, think, I remember reading about that. Yeah, I think those those elements are being dealt with, hopefully, you know, with any kind of legal enforcement that can be done towards that. But vaping in general, because we stand by the products and we only, only sell products that we make in terms of vaping, um, mm-hmm. we were actually not affected by it that much. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So you manufacture those products in your dispensary. Um, Are they available just in Tucson or statewide or how do you sell your products? Um, So we make our uh, vapes and all the other products at our production slash cultivation facility. And most of the Delta 9 THC vapes, we only sell out of our two stores because of our uh, capacity. We're we're not that big in terms of what we make. Our Delta mm-hmm. Eight vapes, um, they are, I believe, available. I believe they're available in thirty dispensaries or so statewide. Okay. So we do wholesale those. And then, oh. really, the most interesting product is I Love a Touch. So when I was telling you about the gel um, earlier on, you know, this mm-hmm. is something that my the fiance, yeah, yeah, for mm-hmm. the grandmother. Mm-hmm. So this is something where my fiance um, had a spinal cord injury when she was in high school. And she mm-hmm. was on a lot of opioids and narcotics for a long time. And then medical mm-hmm. marijuana became legal. So she's actually using this product that we designed and developed for neuropathic pain. And it's working for uh-huh. her. And it's now the number one uh, selling topical product in Arizona. So that, oh, wow. So the touch gel is made here in Tucson and is now available, I want to say, in about 75 dispensaries. Um, so it does, it does very well in terms of efficacy and, you know, sell through as well. Right. And then I also have friends who say that they've uh, helped their old dogs with hip problems with a little CBD oil. I'm not sure where then the dog ends up being much more limber and in less pain. Is that a totally different market for what what you'd give to a dog than a human? Or is it similar in a way or just a different dosage? I think that um, there are certain products that are definitely more oriented towards animals, and they do, from what I've seen, work well. I don't know if I can speak as well about the animal products. <laughs> um, really, we'll be focused on mostly the humans. But yeah, I, I believe that you know some of the products that we've we sell through our store, they're mostly hemp-based, like CBD dog treats and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you can find those anywhere. You don't have to come to a dispensary to get them. Exactly. But, right. but they do have, um, you know, heard great things about them mm-hmm. it's a neat concept i think people just now are learning about that too about helping their animals so i think that's interesting uh, another one of our tucson metro chamber members i believe you know uh nick uh moran over at growers network uh i checked out one of his can of crib uh videos on youtube has he ever done a, a can of crib of uh your uh dispensary or your brother? No, we haven't done that yet, but we are actually supposed to be part of a show called High Sciences. Um, oh. I, I think that will be uh, something that's pushed production due to this uh, current situation, but that yeah. is slated to be something that we are a part of um, when they do start shooting. 
Oh, interesting. And okay. Nick's a part of that also. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, he's an interesting guy for sure. Uh, yeah, for anyone who's just now tuning in, wanted to let you know that you're talking with Heather Wolpern, the Director of Communications from Tucson Metro Chamber, and Mo Asnani, who is the co-founder of iLava and iLava Hemp product line, as well as uh, co-owner of the Downtown and DT dispensaries in Tucson. And we're talking about some of the benefits of um, medical marijuana right now. Um, so tell me more, Mo, about what are some of the, the tough issues that, that your industry faces? You, you mentioned a few things, but what else is, is just hard to handle sometimes? I think that overall, the environment is getting better um, for cannabis businesses. I think that access to capital, along with um, the other issues like banking and you know not being able to write off a lot of business expenses when it comes to taxes, is one thing. And then right. I'd say there's also legislators um, in this state that are every year, so we have our own lobbyists, and every year there's some bills that they're trying to push to make it just harder for patients to access cannabis. And we've been fighting that battle now, you know, for seven years. So I'd say legislatively, um, it's very important that patients and those who do support cannabis use in general um, are making sure to reach out to their legislators and let them know, like, hey, we support the use of this, and it's not something, you know, to keep fighting against. And when you exactly. mentioned the, the state act earlier, uh, what that is um, is a federal law that's being pushed by, I believe, Cory Gardner and Elizabeth Warren, so it's pretty bipartisan, um, where they mm -hmm. would do a lot of federal reform uh, regarding banking and tax issues and stuff like that, as well as just the overall criminality aspect um, that's still technically there. It's just really not being enforced anymore. Oh, okay. Interesting. So what we're going on right now during this pandemic, the fact that dispensaries, at least here, are considered essential businesses. So I'm sure you're you're relieved to hear that for the sake of your business. But tell us even more about, uh, you know, why people do believe that it is considered essential. I think that it's really something where you have to behave like a medical business. So for us, you know, we um, masked up our employees. We got gloves for everybody. We started to treat mm -hmm. it um, like sanitizing the entire facility multiple times a day, um, restricting access to the actual uh, medicine room, if you will, the dispensing areas in the back where you're able to visit if you're a patient and, and really get your product from back there. But now that's no longer allowed. So right. you are having to... I love the it. idea of the curbside pickup that you have. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, so um, curbside pickup, delivery, we're actually able to take debit cards through deliveries through some of the um, things that we have worked out with our banking and merchant services. And then, you know, being able to come in the waiting area and just pick up your order. I think right. the fact that we're an essential service means that we have to take those steps, right? Otherwise, you're simply exposing your employees and the patients to an unnecessary risk. So. Exactly. Yeah, I made it my top priority to start getting masks, you know, you know from anywhere I could, um, as well as air purifiers, everything could to make it just a safer environment. Good. Yeah, I wish more businesses would would have uh, stepped up to the plate a little earlier. Really, we could have could have saved some challenges that people are going through right now. 
I, we it's always tough. like to have our <laughs> yeah. It is tough though to get some of this stuff. I feel for the restaurants in this town who are really I know. You know, getting hit the hardest right now. I know. We're doing what we can to uh we, we teamed up with the Barrio Brewing Foundation uh fund who is generously donating twenty five thousand dollars to uh the business uh or bar and restaurant owners to then distribute to their employees so we're hoping that that makes a little bit of a difference to people who are struggling even just to get the groceries right now so it's definitely tough and i try to keep the podcast as evergreen as possible but i do have to say that today is arizona gives day uh speaking of being generous and i know that your company i I would guess that you uh or i believe i read somewhere that you do give to nonprofits and charitable organizations do you want to touch on that so actually earlier today um we were able to procure uh yesterday and then we gave them away today uh about 495 masks to the tohono odom nation because they're also Fantastic. having a very hard time with uh acquiring ppe so yeah, yeah they were uh they were real 3m you know n95 masks and uh that was that was kind of what we were able to do today and you know i'm kind of made it an additional one of our projects to try to help out healthcare workers. My mom was an RN before she passed, and I know that okay. a lot of the nurses and, and doctors were having to go in and take care of patients, you know, without the right equipment and and uh, yeah, really overall protection that they need, including gloves and and things like that. So I think masks, these N95 masks, have become probably the top thing in this country uh, for mm-hmm. healthcare professionals. So anything we can do to help, we're trying. No, that's great. I love hearing that. Um, so tell me about where you see your business and the, the industry in general in the next few years. Well, if you look at the rest of the developed world, and you know Australia, Canada, Czech Republic, um, Germany, have either legalized federally for adult use or medical. And I think Canada is the only one who's actually federally legal for adult use. But the other countries I just named are legal for medical. And I think as a nation, we need to start looking at how are we going to make it so that we have some new areas for us to grow. Obviously, economic hits like this recession that's going to come because of what just happened, as well right. as, you know, being able to have something that's sustainable, uh, growing hemp and marijuana, for example, don't take up as much water as a lot of crops and their multiple purposes outside of, you know, just flour for smoking or making products for edibles. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. the sustainability part of the business um, or that angle is going to get a lot more traction. And overall, I see cannabis and hemp kind of merging in the next five to 10 years, um, depending on what states are on board with um, cannabis at the time. Today, I think the majority of states already have some adult use or medical uh, marijuana program here in Arizona. The November Smart Safe will be on the ballot, which would, you know, make it legal for anybody 21 and over uh, to purchase medical or to purchase marijuana from a store. So mm-hmm. and that would be the dispensaries and a few other stores that would be able to do that. So I think the hybrid model that's coming of having more of a wellness model for people to not have to go and get a card and pay a fee every two years and simply saying, you know what, I'm an adult. I'm going to go pick up this product and it's going to make me feel better. And I think that's where we're heading, you know, towards the end of this year with the election. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good. That's good to know about the upcoming legislation. Um, so, being from the chamber, of course, we're all about workforce development and jobs around the community. And so, I read that there are nearly 700 uh, county residents hold that special state license required to work in jobs with direct contact with cannabis. And so, getting that license, what does that even entail? Uh, is it is it a test or how how do these seven hundred people get this license? So uh, you're talking about this uh, dispensary agent card. I'm actually wearing one across my neck right now as we speak. Um, okay. But yeah, so a DA card is issued by the Department of Services. Really, you just can't have any criminal history, and you have to submit, oh. you know, a fingerprint check. Um, you go through your you know background. That's what they do. You give them a form attesting that you won't divert marijuana, provide them a picture to put on the card, and then you also pay a $500 fee. So any okay. cannabis business, yeah. So for us, we have 120 employees, give or take. So we're spending oh, wow. $500 per employee per, now it's every two years, uh, it used to be one year, for them to maintain that card to be in compliance with the state law. Wow. That, that's some serious business. <laughs> And so when you hire someone, do you give them training or is there a college major where you can major in, what would that be, horticulture of cannabis? I mean, how how, how do you go about hiring a good qualified staff member? Well, so, you know, it depends on the role. So for the retail roles, you need a very different background. Um, Mm -hmm. For working at the cultivation facility, for example, I think, you know, the more of a labor or also um, agricultural background as well as manufacturing in general, people are trainable and it's really not that hard. We have very um, sophisticated SOPs that we train people on, but I think it's more so just the diversity of work there is because there's admin, there's production, there's retail, there's grilling, there's packaging, there's processing, you know, so it's just working throughout different parts of the company. You still have so many different skill sets. So now we even have our own full-time graphic designer and, and all of that. But again, it's just a real diversity of skills in terms of understanding, um, you know, what works in this business. Yeah, I think it's an interesting avenue that people are probably going to start taking more and more as this becomes uh, more mainstream. So how many dispensaries are there in, in Tucson or Pima County or whatever? What, how many do we even I, have? I think uh, if you count like Marana, Oro Valley, some of the surrounding mm-hmm. areas, um, I think we're at right around 15 or 16 today. Oh, wow. That's a lot. All right. Is yeah. there room for more? Is there a, a demand? You know, I, I'm not sure how to answer that because it, <laughs> I think that you have a certain set of people who will always want to have more options at the same time. You don't want one on every corner, right? That's one of the things we did with Smart right. Safe is we realize that most of the voters here don't want a medical or adult use marijuana dispensary on every corner. So it's still very limited in the number that are out there, but we don't want to turn into Denver. So we really want to keep it so that the voters in the state still support the program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep it uh, reasonable, um, be moderate about it, not so, not like every single corner, that'd be a little much. Um, exactly. So, yeah, when I, I put it out to my coworkers before the podcast started, seeing if anyone had any uh, questions in mind, and here's one I got. So is there a distinction 
between how the product and experience and experiences are different between medical and recreational usage. Yeah. Um, so what would happen is, let's say today, if you're a medical marijuana patient, you're allowed to buy, you know, two and a half ounces of total product every 14 days. In adult use, your limit's not that high. And some of the products that you can get in the medical program won't be available to those in the adult use program. And that's because they're high dosage and they could be, have very strong effects. So I'll give you an example. There mm -hmm. are some edibles literally available in the store today that are 500 milligrams of THC. If I took one of those, oh I'd be at, down and out for like four days or something, right? Like, uh -huh, like right. Just, that's an extremely high dosage in my opinion. So in adult mm -hmm. use, for example, you're um, going to be limited just the way the law is written to no more than 10 milligrams per unit or 100 milligrams per package in general. So, oh, okay. even, mm -hmm. so even if you do have a package that's 100 milligrams, it's got to be dosed with no more than 10 per unit. And uh, that's the 10-100 standard is something that we're starting to see in California, Massachusetts. It's probably the most likely to become a national standard um, for cannabis mm -hmm. when we do have federal reform. So, and I fully right. support that as somebody who has taken, um, you know, an excessive amount before. And I think also the medical program, when you have people like cancer patients who we have talked about, as well as right. others who have a very different need, they may need a high dosage of THC just to deal with their um, symptoms. And I, was, I think I can tell you this in the best way that makes sense. If you are undergoing chemo or if you have neuropathic pain, you could have 200 or 300 milligrams of THC and be totally normal. Whereas if wow. you're, you know, like me, like pretty healthy or no real mm -hmm. issues, and you take that, it just completely knocks you out. So, it's, so there's some weird way that it regulates you to your baseline instead of getting you high. And I've no, I've seen that so over and over again with people. Yep. Gosh, so, that's so interesting. Yeah. So the kind of pain you would have from a car accident because you're fine or something like that. Every time we see the same thing is that the person who's taking a much higher dose is not getting hot. Mm -hmm. Wow. But, that's really interesting. Yeah. But again, adult use is more of a wellness product and that need is not there. So those people probably shouldn't be taking very high dose products. Exactly. And it, it seems like uh, more people are definitely starting to uh, cook with weed now too i mean originally you would hear people just talk about a brownie or a cookie that sort of thing but now it's getting a lot more creative and a lot more gourmet um do you sell those sort of products or have you heard about them yeah i've, I've i definitely know what you're talking about when it comes to uh you know the gourmet type of products but remember those mm -hmm. don't have a very long shelf life so mm. for us you know we're more focused on making sure that the products that are on our shelves stay good uh, for right. some time and also don't expire out because then you can have a whole different litany of problems if you have expired edible products, you know. Gotcha. So, right. Exactly. So and then with people on having... shelf stable. Oh, right. Oh, no, sorry. Right. <laughs> no, no. So I was just asking more about, again, the with the medical marijuana card, I'm so curious about um, – well, a number of questions that I've just always wondered myself. <laughs> is that information confidential? Um, say if you do get drug tested at your work and you come up positive, can you say, oh, well, I, I have uh, anxiety, and so I have this medical marijuana card? Like, it, is that forgivable? 
or is it just depending on the company themselves of what they allow? So let me uh, preface this with I'm not an attorney, but this is my <laughs> best understanding of the law right. as it is today. So right. to answer your first question, absolutely confidential. There's actually a statute that I've memorized, ARF 36-2806, which wow. is the confidentiality clause. So the Department of Health Services isn't allowed by law to share any patient information. Um, and then as dispensaries, we obviously have a responsibility to keep it confidential too. So yeah, patients will, there's no public list or anything like that. And with 225,000 Arizonans on that list, it's not exactly a small list anymore. So again, exactly. no, I'm not something to worry about either. too much. Right, yeah. right. Now, what about this? Do you have a maximum of what someone can purchase? just to, it's not in your control whatsoever, but what if someone then tries to give or sell to someone else who doesn't have the medical marijuana card? Is that just, just out of your hands, I would assume, or is there a cap on what someone can buy in a, a week well, or something like that? So, yeah, the 2.5-ounce limit is the legal limit. Oh, so okay. let's say you came in and you bought, you know, one ounce. We put that into the system that the Department of Health Services has, and then if you go down the street to another dispensary, your buying quota has actually been reduced in real time by an ounce. And all the dispensaries share the same website with the Department of Health Services. So it's very interesting. Well, then that makes sense. That's good that it is kind of a checks and balances of sorts. I'll, I'll try to say this without offending anybody, but the marijuana in this state is tracked better than the guns and bullets in this state. Hands down, no questions asked. Right. Yeah. Um, to yeah. answer your other question from a little bit huh. earlier, in yes. terms of, um, I think if you had asked me this correctly, I can't remember, um, it was right after your other question about, whether, <laughs> about employers and, uh, you know, if oh, you're right. using. Yeah, I've always wondered yeah. about that. Mm -hmm. So as long as you have a valid medical marijuana card and you're not going to work high, um, mm -hmm. you know, unless your employer is a federal government or a federal contractor. So if you're, you know, one of the large employers in the town is a federal contractor, and they would definitely have the right to terminate somebody with a medical marijuana card. However, somebody who is not a federal contractor or the federal government, um, they could still get sued by an employee if they terminate them wrongfully, as long as that right. employee has a valid medical marijuana card. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, so tell me a little bit about more of kind of your your day-to-day -day operations. What is the day in the life of owning a dispensary? What's that about? I think one of the top things that I'm always focusing on is making sure that the product quality doesn't deviate from where it's supposed to be. And when you're doing something that's a combination of agriculture, uh, processing, manufacturing, branding, it's really important, you know, to close that customer experience loop. Um, along mm -hmm. with the fact that you're tying this all together and making sure that the consumer experience from a patient perspective isn't shifting in a negative way. So I still, right. you know, even in this pandemic, I wear a mask. I'm still coming in every day. I'm checking on all the facilities to make sure that, you know, whatever we were before, we haven't lost too much of that because of what's happening. And, and really before that, my core focus was uh, – the cultivation facility we're expanding that right now we have build out happening over there so we're adding additional flower rooms um you know to to expand our production capabilities 
so that's that was the core focus before and now i think it's more employee and patient safety that's great yeah so can you picture yourself in the same industry for years to come i think there's a part of me that wants to see some changes like i mentioned before at the federal level because doing this for this long um i do want to start to see some of those changes i've been lobbying for them fighting for them gone to dc myself a few times um you know to to yeah, bring these issues to light, and I'm not going to stop doing that. But I like to see that traction happen soon. I think it'll be good for the economy. I think it'll be good for just overall access to the the plant, and you know that is a right. bit of a life mission right now. That's great. I love that. Well, I feel like we've covered a fair minute, a fair bit of ground today, and you've really provided a lot of really good information. So I thank you. Uh, for that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Unless there's anything else you want to add, I think there's one point I always like to make here, sure. and it's for Me the too. the listeners who may be skeptical of cannabis as a treatment option. Um, right. And maybe I want to appeal to their business side, but at the end of the day, what we have is you know you can come in from the UK or Canada and file patents related to cannabis because it's federally legal in your home country. You cannot actually do that if you're American. And I think those are the kinds of imbalances that I find frustrating, and they should too, whether or not they believe in cannabis or not. So those, right. those points, the business, pure business perspective, needs to be understood by the population that may not like the product. Right. I think that's a valid point to make, for sure. Uh I think regardless of the topic, when people just try to stay a little bit more open-minded and not so judgmental about things, it, it makes the world a better place for sure. Um, exactly. So, I, yeah. So I hope that all of our listeners enjoyed this episode of The Business Of. We hope the information shared today helps you understand an avenue that might be brand new to you. And thank you today's special guest, Mo Asnani from the downtown dispensary and D2 dispensary. Uh, Mo's bio contact information will be uploaded along with a link from today's podcast, I should say podcast, <laughs> to Tucson Business Radio X's website. And please follow Tucson Metro Chamber on all of our social media channels and check out tucsonchamber.org for upcoming virtual events and membership information. I'm Heather Wolfern, the Director of Communications at Tucson Metro Chamber, and I look forward to sharing more about how the Tucson Metro Chamber helps Tucson businesses thrive when I host the next The Business Of on Tuesday, May 5th. Thank you and goodbye. The Business Of, an informative podcast with Heather Wilburn from the Tucson Metro Chamber can be heard here continuously on TucsonBusinessRadioX.com.